Welcome and thank you for being a listener of the Dose of Leadership podcast. Currently, we're expanding the conversations beyond just leadership into health, wealth, purpose, spirituality, relationships, and much, much more, because today's leader has to be about all of these areas to lead into the future. Hi, I'm Matt Lilly, and I'm the new host of the previous Dose of Leadership podcast, now called Bright Vibe. I've owned 20 businesses over the last 30 years, and I've studied business, wealth, health, strength, spirituality, you name it, I've studied it, and I've learned that you have to grow in all these areas to be the best well-rounded leader that you can be, not just at office, but also at home. We have an oppressive lineup of speakers coming soon, so please stay tuned to the podcast. Thank you for being a listener and part of our Dose of Leadership community, and now we welcome and are excited to have you be a part of our Bright Vibe podcast community. All right, Sean Korn, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too. And I'm excited you're here. I've looked at some of your stuff and you're just so, so transparent, vibrant, energetic, happy, just kind of, you know, but authentic. I just love the authenticity of the material that you put out. It's just so, I think that's why people resonate with it so much. It's just like, yeah, that she's just being real. You're kind of real with it, I guess, if I could, if, if you don't mind me projecting on you there a little bit. But let <laughs> I me, don't mind at all. Let me tell you all the judgments I have about you. So so, yeah. so for people listening, who is Sean Korn? Because you're a lot of stuff. So who, who is Sean Korn? Um, who is Sean Korn? I, I guess first and foremost, I am born and bred in New Jersey. So if there's any realness or authenticity that comes out of me, it has a lot to do with the way in which I was raised in Jersey. And I am a student of yoga. I am deeply committed to the transformational healing path. I have been for a really long time. My uh, commitment to the healing path though includes stepping into leadership and doing all that I can do Mm -hmm. to help to uh, engage the communities of wellness through conscious action to do all that we can to eradicate the suffering through elevating equality, ending oppression, and doing all that we can do to create more space for peace and liberation for all. And so I'm highly dedicated to that kind of work, Mm -hmm. but it's an inside out job because if I want to heal the divisions that exist in the world, I have to first concentrate on the ways in which I'm complicit to those divisions and contribute to them. And so if you ask me who I am, I am deeply dedicated to dismantling the systems of oppression within myself that cause the suffering of others. Okay. So now I'm your number one fan. I just, I really? just, That's all it took? I, yeah, you, you, you had me at oppression. You had me at oppression. So, so I, I, so what we're doing with bright vibe is so in alignment, uh, and so succinct with what you just said. Um, I don't usually use those words as, as succinctly as you did. So like when you said it, uh, literally a tear was coming into my eye mm-hmm. because I was like, I, I truly do feel like the, the world I have suffered. I think everyone suffers. Um, and I've witnessed suffering and, and so a big part of what we want our community to be able to do is help people be free from suffering, right? Experience freedom, like a Vic, even like a Victor Frankl example where he's in a, you know, a concentration camp, but he had liberation from suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a mindset. And to your point, he couldn't change his external circumstances. He was in a prison, right? He was in a concentration camp, but he could definitely change his internal program or at least, um, be able to use his internal program to reshift his mindset so that he wasn't in a prison. And you hear those stories of actual prisoners, right? You hear stories, these overcoming stories of, of people that are truly in prison, but they feel more free than somebody who's on the outside who's suffering because of 
whatever, right? Just the, mm-hmm. the, the life happening. So, so yeah, now I get why you have such raving fans and like, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> so do you just want to speak to me for the next <laughs> like 50 minutes about my <laughs> life and then I'm going to, so help, help me be free from suffering. Help us all yeah. be free from suffering. So you use a lot of, I've heard you say you, you have basically seven different areas that you focus on in, in your, in your life. Is that accurate that you try to keep in balance? Oh, me, my seven non-negotiables for there, myself. See, see, yeah. I did see, I did my yeah, homework. Did homework. I did, I did my homework. <laughs> I did. I actually went out and learned some stuff about you. So, so, so I was, I found that very fascinating. So I, if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, what are your seven non-negotiables? Well, let me put it into context first. Sure. The, these seven non-negotiables are commitments that I make to myself that are unique to my path and my own Uh, personal needs, if I don't do these actionables because of my own limiting beliefs, my own trauma, my own addiction to tension, I will revert back to very unconscious behavior very quickly because it feels in my body right and it feels so familiar that my subconscious orients towards what's familiar rather than towards what's not familiar, towards what's just uncomfortable. And so I know that if I don't commit to these seven non-negotiables and I let myself get tired or hungry or in any way um, dysregulated, I will act out, I will react, and I will create conflict. So for me to stay grounded, centered, um, and in my body, Every day, I have to commit to yoga, meditation, prayer, sleep, and diet. Once a week, I have to commit to um, therapy and play. Play I'm the worst at. It's just not in my nature. It's not what I'm good at. So I added it on because I think it's very important. And within play, I also add community because I believe that for sustainability, that's also really important. So I know that if I don't get on the yoga mat, which is right behind me, Mm If I don't move the energy, if I don't release the tension and feel into my feelings, I will shut down. I will get, uh, I will dissociate. Mm -hmm. I might use substances like food or too much TV or internet to numb myself out. And as a result of that behavior, of those choices, um, of those non-actions, the first sign of a conflict, my tension my anxiety will cause me to say or do something that will probably create some harm. And so this is a way in which I practice self-care that I continue to do the deep inner work so that I can show up in my truth, not in my ego, not in my reactivity, and a way in which I can contribute to society in a way that's actually in service to all. Because by doing these actions, I come I'm more integrated, I'm more whole, I'm more patient, present, empathetic, and loving. And those are going to be the seeds that we sow in order to create peace. Mm, love it. See, this is just a session for me. My wife's, <laughs> my wife's a yoga teacher, and she's always trying to get me to do yoga. And I so resist it because I'm probably addicted to right, uh, conflict mm-hmm. and, and strife, right? Uh, the overcoming, like the, the overcoming. I'm addicted to the overcoming, yet 
not actually releasing the thing yep. that I'm over trying to overcome. Thank you for listening to the Bright Vibe podcast today. We've got a special event coming up here shortly, July 12th through the 16th, called the Global Happiness Summit. And we're bringing resources from around the country together to talk about happiness and what that means and how to have more of that in our lives. Go to brightvibe.com, B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com for more information about the Global Happiness Summit. And we look forward to seeing you July 12th through the 16th. Well, I think that that's the thing that, that what's so humbling about the particular inner path that I have chosen, which requires embodied practices. There's so many different pathways that help us to connect to our true self. For me personally, without that embodied piece, I stay from my, my neck up. Right. I try to make sense of the ineffable. I try to reason and, and try to understand God rather than just... Um, be in relationship with it from the inside out. And so I think that that's an important launching pad just for you and for everyone who's listening. Um, what we're taught is that in the practice of yoga is that there's no separation, that everything is connected. It's the very nature of the word yoga. It means to come together and make whole. This means that there's no separation between you and I, between heaven and earth, male, female, um, and the mind and the body. And this is the piece that's really, really important. Everything that we think, feel, or, or experience through the course of our lifetime and before, and I'll explain that in a moment, um, has an effect on our physiology, mm -hmm. has an effect on our physical body. Um, everything we're taught in yoga is energy. Energy is defined as vibration with information. The fact that you can see my body right now means that the information that makes up me, Sean, is moving at a slow enough rate that you can physically see it. But there's energies that are called subtle energies. And subtle energy you cannot see, but you can feel them. And they consist of love and um, uh, compassion, but also fear, grief, rage, shame, um, jealousy, these are what they call the shadow emotions. The shadow emotions are the emotions that we all have, right. but we're ashamed of them or don't want anyone else to see. So when a body has experienced any kind of trauma, and often when we think of trauma, we think of capital big T trauma, the shock mm -hmm. trauma, the unimaginable events that are kind of one-offs, murder, rape, um, death of a loved one, uh, of partners cheating on you. But there's another kind of trauma that's called developmental trauma. And these are the traumas, the small t traumas that we have in our childhood before we have an opportunity to express our feelings or to right. talk about the events. This can include bullying, also divorce or death of a loved one, for example. When we experience some kind of an event that is overwhelming, Trauma is defined as anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and leaves us feeling helpless, hopeless, out of control, or unable to respond. When we experience a trauma, chemicals release from the brain, they flood our system. Our system receives um, stress hormones, including cortisol, for example, and our nervous system is impacted and we go into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. Our body has perceived a threat. And when our body perceives a threat, it has a literal response. And that response is often a contraction, a very quick contraction. Mm -hmm. If as a child, we're raised by parents or whoever it is in our family who recognize that we've experienced something that's overwhelming, 
who understand energy and that energy has to move, they're going to encourage that child to scream, to yell, to dance, to cry, to express the anger, to use whatever language they want to, until they find what's underneath the anger, which is always going to be the grief. Mm. If they give the child a chance to do that, the child discharges the energy. It processes it through the same way animals do in the wild when they've experienced trauma or, or a threat. They literally shake. Shake, yeah. In, a, in our society, we're not often taught that. At best, our parents might, or whoever our caretakers are, might see that we're sad and say, oh, you're sad. Here, have a cookie. Or let's go shopping. I'm going to buy you a little present. They're going to look to the external world and to substances as a way to self-soothe or numb. Um, or they're gonna say, if you're angry, like, I'll give you something to be angry about. Either way, they're teaching us at a very early age how to internalize our emotions, how not to deal with that. Internalized emotions, the vibration of the anger, the rage, the grief, the um, whatever the overwhelm is, and that contraction, mm -hmm. that is tension. Tension, stress, and anxiety are the number one causes of illness and depression today. And it has a cumulative effect, meaning that that little kid, now that kid it experienced, the child experienced that trauma at eight. Now the child's 10 and the child gets flat left or something happened mm -hmm. that in the unconscious reminds them of the original insult or assault or rejection or abandonment or abuse. Mm -hmm their nervous system immediately is gonna time travel to that moment and contract in order to create that sense of control and safety. Because mm -hmm. the child doesn't know what's on the other side of it, which is ultimately liberation, it's freedom, but there's no evidence of that. Right. And so that contraction becomes cumulative. And in time, the sensation of that contraction becomes so familiar mm -hmm. that we rely on it as if it's a truce. As if it's like, you know, we get a gut feeling about something, but it's actually layered with these limiting beliefs and these constructs of fear that haven't been resolved. And in time, the self-soothing me mechanisms that we may have used as a child, like food or shopping for a gift, mm -hmm. it becomes drugs, it becomes alcohol, it becomes sex, it becomes the internet, um, all these other different ways in which we're trying not to feel at all because we feel so much. And so what happens, what I believe is that most of the people in this world have internalized not only their own unhealed pain mm -hmm. and trauma, but also the pain and the trauma, the limiting beliefs and, um, and the systems of belief passed down from our culture, our ancestry, our religion and our education. So we embody all of it and all of that information, if you will, colors our perspective and our re reality and influences the way in which we experience the world and the way in which the world experiences us. And it becomes a part of our identity, a part of our ego. So here's where it swings back to yoga and why on my seven non-negotiables, <laughs> the- This is the my, yeah, the, yes. <laughs> Please, please tell us, tell us how, how it mm -hmm. sucks. Now tell us how it gets better. Yes. Yeah. That what happens when we do yoga and why I want to, like your wife is correct. You need to do yes. yoga, but it's not about the strength and the flexibility. Right. It's what happens when you do yoga is you stretch. Mm -hmm. 
and the muscles expand and they fill with, with blood, with fluid, with prana. And as that tension releases, that contraction becomes expansion. But before it does that, we're often, as students, put up against, remember I said we don't know what's on the other side of that tension, mm-hmm. that contraction? Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the part of the yoga practice that people get so kind of tripped out about. They think they came into the yoga class and they're going to feel great and amazing. They don't know, though, that part of the healing process is having to bear witness to your own resistance because as the tension releases, the emotions that are bubbling underneath Mm-hmm. start to come up for uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll resist and we'll dissociate or we'll fantasize or project onto the teacher to avoid having to actually breathe into the surrender that's being invited underneath that tension. And so for all of us, we're addicted to that tension because it feels safe. The pathway to liberation and to truly coming into a dynamic relationship with your true self means you have to befriend the shadow self, not reject it or deny it, um, but to actually see what it has to teach you. And the only way for me in which to do that is through the body, because the body won't lie. Sensation won't lie. Our skills, though, have to be developed so that we can tolerate the discomfort, breathe into it, allow it to rise to the surface and then see what it wants to teach us about our ego and about our small self or the narratives that we have chosen to stay uh, attached to uh, of our pain and our suffering. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm on the side of your wife, get on the yoga mat, <laughs> breathe into it, yes. release the historical trauma that's living in your body mm-hmm. and see what's on the other side. Yeah. You know, it, uh, I've studied in India off and on several times and uh, the monks over there would talk, they called these these physical things uh, charges. They they would call them charges in the body. And you know when I've gone through processes that are designed to release these charges, typically it is the sensation. There is a very physical sensation when those things. I realized why they were calling them charges because when they went off, it felt like electricity. Like it was like yeah. almost like being zapped or something. In 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 the unity movement, which is a, a Christian uh, church. You know, they call it chemicalization, chemicalization. So you're, the, the body is chemicalizing these, you know, kind of releasing or these traumas. But it's, it's, this isn't some woo-woo foreign thing, right? The, the, the trauma, I mean, like you can look at it from a perspective of like a car accident. You get in a car accident, your body experiences trauma, it holds on to that. And that's, you know, you get the back pains and the headaches and the migraines, all this stuff that comes with it. We just don't necessarily, I think, as a society equate emotional trauma to physical pains and physical suffering and, and, and all of the stuff that goes along with that. I think that's what's coming into um, more, uh, what do I want to say, more a more conscious society right now is kind of, yeah, these things are connected. You, you can't just treat it with a pill. You can't just separate it out and pretend like it's, these things are all interconnected to your point. And I guess yoga, to your point, yoga, the practice of yoga is tying those all together and then helping the healing process through yoga. Is that absolutely? It's kind of like you know the physical body has this stuff throughout the body called fascia. Mm-hmm. Fascia basically holds everything together. It's the mm-hmm. shrink wrap within the body, and it it the everything just kind of weaves into it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm moving my arm up here, the fascia in my ankle is having a response to it. It's having that tug. Mm-hmm. It's not separate. Right. It's like a, a it's 
an odd interwoven sack Mm -hmm. and our emotions shouldn't, shouldn't seem outside of the realm of our physiology. It's the same thing. I can get on that yoga mat and I can be strong and flexible and from the outside seem like I have it all together. But if I'm not tending to my emotional body, Mm-hmm. then, and I'm suppressing that emotion, it's going to come out sideways. Right. Um, I might be pleasant to one, but then sarcastic to someone else. Right. Um, I might find other ways to act out. What yoga invites us to do through the psychosomatic process is not only release the tension, but take the time to understand how it got there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the stories that we tell ourselves are true and the attachment that we have to those narratives. The practice of yoga is asking us to, to awaken to our true self. Our true self is not something that we seek. It's something that we awaken to because to seek it suggests that somehow it lives outside of us. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that blocks us from the depth and the power of, of, of having a deeper relationship to source is the attachment that we have to the small self the ways in which we've identified with our you know, external circumstances and narratives and our unwillingness to see a bigger spiritual picture to why things happen as they do. I think the problem, though, within the mainstream wellness, spirituality and yoga world is that we're often taught to bypass mm-hmm. our big emotions, right. meaning we're told everything happens for a reason. And yes, that is true. But it's important not just to jump to that statement as fact without being in relationship to the the child within us that's really angry or sad or scared and giving space uh, energetically to release whatever those emotions are mm-hmm. and um so that when we actually when we actually get to that place where we're like oh, oh my god everything does happen for a reason it doesn't negate that there are also things that happen that are hurtful and harmful and bad and feel awful. And we can't change what is. If something has happened, it's happened, that's life. Mm -hmm. But we can change our perception. And in changing our perception, we can become empowered, not in spite of this experience, but because of it. And so I think there's a slippery slope in the mainstream spirituality world Mm -hmm with people who aren't willing to get into therapy and to do the deep emotional work of just going too quick into glamorizing the spiritual process rather than recognizing it's complex, it's messy, it's embodied, it's threatening. And all of that is fodder for unimaginable self-acceptance, compassion, empathy, and self-love, which will then translate into collective love. Mm And that was the show right there. All, all we need, all we need to know <laughs> about it. life. I think it's just the one thing. I don't think there's seven things that I think there's just the one. It's, it's like the guy from uh, city slickers, uh, the, 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 the older guy. There's just one thing. Do you know the one thing? I think you just told us this one thing right there. Yoga. <laughs> so for me, yes. You know, well, like I your, said, there are many pathways. Yes, right. And, and good point, mm-hmm. point well taken that this mm-hmm. is your, you're not talking about what people should do. You're talking about what you do, which is, and that's mm-hmm. uh, very admirable as well. So yoga, meditation was the second one. I was trying to write them down, but you were so prayer. fast. Prayer. It was prayer the second uh, one? Okay, I need to move meditation. Uh, no, yoga, no, no, yoga, meditation, prayer. Okay, prayer. Sleep, there 
Got it. Diet. Diet. I had sleep at number four, so I got that one right. (laughs) Yep, and diet. And diet, Um, and then therapy and play. Got it. Yep, and it's not necessarily in that order. That's just right. Those are just your seven. Yeah. Yeah, and um, but for other people, it might be other things. Mm -hmm. Like I added play on because I realized that. I'm an isolator. Yep, yep. I tend to be, um, although I'm, 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 I'm a social extrovert, mm-hmm. my, I'm a spiritual introvert yes. and my soul gets fed in isolation and I'm way too good mm-hmm. at being alone. Right. And so I know that community and play interaction is vitally important to my sustainability and self care, even though it doesn't feel like that to me. Yep. So I've, I added that one on late in the game. Yeah. And I, I used to call it a celebration and rejuvenation kind of thing. I need to, I, I, I don't celebrate life enough, right? There's all, there's things, yeah. there's beautiful things happening every day. Am I truly, cause you, you, I, I meet people and you know, they, they just kind of celebrate the way they live their life. Even if, even as messy as it is or crazy it is or whatever, they're just kind of celebrating. I'm like, that's cool. I don't celebrate enough. I don't take time to actually no. go, go, you know what? That was cool to watch my two-year-old do that. Or that was cool that I did that. That was was funny. I just did something, you know? And so, yeah, for me, I had to add that one on too. I did. So here's how good a student I am of your, of yours here. Uh, <laughs> prayer is, uh, uh, prayer is what'd you say? Asking for the answer. Meditation is listening to the answer or is, is something oh similar God, to that. Did I say that? Yeah. You something said something like that. like that. I was like, that was very, you, oh, you phrased it very beautifully it was, better than, than I just said. It was yeah. basically prayer is asking for guidance and meditation is listening to, for guidance. I think yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. When you pray, when you pray, you're asking. Yep. Um, and when you meditate, you're listening yeah. and there is real truth to that. The thing about prayer is like, I'm a real big believer in prayer, but it's mm-hmm. not like I'm like, I'm saying like, Oh dear God, bring me a million dollars. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I might ask, you know, dear spirit, um, reflect back to me the ways in which I have been committed to a lack mentality and the impact mm-hmm. that my feelings of lack have impacted my relationships and financial abundance. Like I might ask for clarity mm-hmm. because it, rather than say, give me the thing, mm-hmm. um, I don't believe in that. Um, when my dad was dying of cancer, I wasn't like, dear God, you know, take my dad cancer away. Mm -hmm. But it was like, give me the strength to tolerate this unknown realm that we are all walking in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether my dad was going to survive cancer or not was going to have to do, it was a between him and God, but also between him and the medical industry, between him and his diet, there were all these other factors. So I'm not a big believer in like magical thinking. Mm -hmm. When I'm putting it out there, to God, I'm reminding myself of what I already know is true. I need clarity. I need strength. I need guidance. I need protection. I need um, patience. So now how do I cultivate that? Mm -hmm. Now that I've said that, now what do I have to do to get the knowledge? What do I have to do to cultivate the the patience? And that's often how I pray, or I pray for other people. Mm -hmm. I pray for their health, their happiness, their sustainability. And when I'm in meditation, is when the answer will often come. And it's usually just like, duh. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm wanting some clarity on my, let's say it's my relationship, um, in my meditation, I'm probably going to get the hit mm-hmm. that, um, A, it might be as simple, as practical as, you, you two should probably be in therapy. Or it might be, um, you need to listen more. Mm-hmm. in this dynamic. Um, 
you're projecting on him. Why don't you take the time to see what that's about? You're not, you're not checking in with your own anger and you're using a safe space in order to lash out because you're doing it where it needs to be. Things like that. I'll get the clarity in my meditation when my body is more regulated, when I'm breathing, and when my mind is more clear. I always will know the answer. I'm not going to know it, though, when I'm in the trigger. Right. Because my ego will tell me what's ne- what I need. And that's n- not what usually you not a good need. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually that <laughs> makes things worse. The, um, the, uh, I had a friend of mine the other day. We were talking about prayer and meditation. And he had heard this practice. And so I, I actually tried it today. It was it, And I'm going to have to continue to try it. But basically he said, they said, uh, sit for five minutes in meditation after you pray and wait for the answer. Don't, don't, mm-hmm. it, you know, cause a lot of times if I'm praying, I pray and then I just go on about my day, right? It's not that I pray yeah. and then I'm stay in the silence or stay in that space and then actually meditate or, you know, and, and, and be just in the space. Um, it's usually, and so I'm mm-hmm. like, that's interesting connect it. So you can actually get, it's kind of like you're saying, Hey, I'm going to send this email, but then I'm not going to check my email. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm going to send this email yeah, right. out in the space, but then I'm not actually going to check my email. It's like, yeah, send it mm-hmm. out, but then allow it to come back. Don't just rush to, you know, magically to your point, magically have magical thinking that later in the day, it's going to hit me. Well, give it space to hit you now or, or give you clarity now. And, and I agree. You have to be in a space of, well, or, or ask, just say, I'm not in a space of clarity and I'm not in a good space and I know I'm triggered. So please help me with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I find that yeah. I do that sometimes. It's like, I'm not in a good space. I am going to napalm the yeah. earth. Some, you know, <laughs> help me with, help <laughs> me with that feeling first and then we'll get clarity later. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, to take it one step further, yeah. when I get on the mat, mm-hmm. um, back to usually the yoga. before I get on the mat, back, back to, to the, the yoga, yoga is is I will put my palms together in the beginning of the practice and I'll mm-hmm. say, um, you know, dear spirit, um, uh, usually I say calling in the God of my own unique understanding, uh, may this practice be an opportunity for healing, awakening and transcendence to occur body, mind and spirit. Help me get out of my own way so that I can see beyond reason and step into that sacred world directly behind my eyes, letting go of human interpretation. May I embrace divine's, divine perception, which is infinite and limitless. I pray for the clarity. I pray for openness. I pray to receive all that I need. Help me to open myself to receive your insight. And then I practice and I use my body to pray. So every time I place my hands or my feet or move in and out of a pose, my body becomes an expression of that devotion. Mm -hmm. And so I know I'm getting the byproducts of the practice, flexibility, strength, detoxification, I know that I'm, a re- I'm releasing physiological and emotional tension. What I also know is that by using my body to express that, that longing, I'm going to move slower and more intentional. I'm going to be more focused and my breath is going to be slower. Mm-hmm. So that when I get to the end of the practice and I sit in meditation, that contraction is now it's spiritual alchemy it's turning the lead of my fear into the gold of my understanding or wisdom and so at the end of the practice when i'm sitting and trying to open myself to truth that if i get some clarity i receive it without without fear without resistance and without judgment and if i don't get any clarity i receive it without any fear or resistance, etc. So it's the same thing. It's just like, okay, I know a seed has been planted. 
I know it's being integrated. I know that I will always get what I need when my nervous system is ready to assimilate it. And I'm going to trust this process. And so that's how I do my work on the mat is that my prayers are all integrated, Mm -hmm. uh, body, mind, and spirit. Like it's, it's Tantra. Tantra means to weave together. So it's taking asana, pranayama, mudra, mantra, uh, psychotherapy, and bringing it all together into a cauldron and stirring it up Mm -hmm. and then seeing what alchemizes, what comes to the surface. And that's been particular medicine that has worked for me and what I offer to people in the world. But earlier we talked about how, um, you know, there's all these different pathways. See, I believe that yoga and all of these different modalities are a healing art. And the key word is art. Art is the creative expression of each individual that is subjective, meaning that what is art for me is not necessarily art for you and vice versa. The moment I come to you and I say, here's what your art should look like, Mm -hmm. I've actually taken away the creative experience from you and imposed my um, interpretation onto you as an absolute. To me, yoga and all the healing modalities are the same thing. I can, I can tell you what works for me. I can provide you the science and the techniques, but it's your art to uncover, to discover again and again and again. And, and your healing practice, like art, is constantly evolving and growing and changing. And so the modalities that worked for me at 18 don't necessarily work for me today at 55. And what? I imagine no, stop. that stops right there. <laughs> stop. Okay. I didn't go. I didn't see that on any of, any of my research notes. Um, uh, it does say 25 year teacher. Um, 55? 30 year, 30 year teacher now. 55? Yeah, see, and I, yeah. I, I, this needs to be a little more clear. It's a little fuzzy on the, on the uh, software today, but <laughs> I'm like, what? 55? Yeah, well, that's amazing. I mean, Yoga, I, I, I was thinking, prayer. I was thinking you were in your thirties. Seriously. I'm not, I'm, well, I, 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 I was thinking you were in your thirties cause I didn't realize, yeah, I guess if you started at 10 and you had 25 years of teaching career, <laughs> yes. then, then you'd be in your thirties, but well, good. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to derail you, but I'm, I was truly shocked. I'm like, oh, wow, well, that's amazing. So good for you. Well, you know, well, yoga yeah. and, um, and, you know, a commitment to these practices and also, and as, and as much as I appreciate it, and I hear it all the time, uh-huh. there's always a little part of me that wants to push back at it a little bit <laughs> um, because I really celebrate the aging process yeah. and want to break the, the, like I hear it a lot that I look really good for my age. Right. And you're like, <laughs> my right. age should like, define the way well, you what look. What does that mean? Right. And also like at 55, like, what does that mean? Right. And like, how, how does that set us up in society? Of course. Um, the process is, is already challenging enough internally right. than to have all that external information. So I, I, as much as I appreciate what you're saying at the yes. same time, I try not to get caught up in it mm-hmm. because I, um, it's, uh, I don't want my self-esteem determined or anyone's yeah, self-esteem yeah. determined, especially anyone who's listening to this, uh, to be determined by something that's as temporal mm-hmm. as the way in which we look. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's life 
it's we will get older, we will die, and there is a natural decom- decomposition process that will yeah. happen. And yet our society doesn't really give us a lot of space mm-hmm. to celebrate the this organic transition mm-hmm. and to somehow feel that looking younger is good mm-hmm. and looking older isn't. And so I, 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 <laughs> I thank you. And I also, for people who are listening, it's important for me yes. as a yogi and as a woman on this path, mm-hmm. not to get caught up in, in that, you and, know, in that and, kind of rhetoric. And I think, and I think from my perspective, it's the energy that you have. So mm. it, it is because truly my screen, because of the software we're using is not real <laughs> super clear, but uh, it's the energy and the vibrance in which you're talking it's such a it's such a powerful experience to be participating in that experience with you and so for me yes i f- physically looking i i would say i would say you are the example of what 55 should look like and can look like and 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 so i'm going to project that on you and maybe that brings up some stuff too but i i, I think if we i think it's as an example of not not to, as a comparison but 55 can look to your point whatever 55 can look like. It doesn't have to be yeah. defined by the a useful look or an older look. It's just, I think when I look at society and, and uh, my friends, social circles, people I'm around, uh, I think people do have the misperception that, because I'm, I'm turning 51 here in a month, that, that once you're at a certain age, you should act certain ways. You should have aches and pains and you should have, you know, you should be thinking about death and you should be thinking, I mean, all of this stuff. And I'm, and I'm like, I have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. I, I have a reason to stay young because mm-hmm. if I don't, they're going to beat me up in another 10 years. Like they're physically going to be able to kick my butt. I won't have any way to, but so, so yeah, I think I, I, I would think that it's not that, yeah, from an energetic standpoint, I think you are living obviously your principles and those principles give you a certain effect. And I think that effect anybody could have if they chose uh, similar effects, if they chose to do similar things, right? If it's not rocket mm-hmm. science, if you do, if somebody does something and you do what they do, you're going to have similar results, not same results, but similar results for the most part. Like, well, my, mm-hmm. my, it's making me think of my mom. My mom is 76 years old now and mm-hmm. curious and robust yep. and um, very alive mm-hmm. in this world. Like just, obsessed with Mick Jagger. Like she wants to try everything new (laughs) and, uh, and fun. So years ago, years ago, and, uh, this is a funny story. And I, mom, wherever you are right now, I know you'll appreciate me sharing this, but it's to your point about, about like, um, constructs and the information that we're, we're we're told and how we actually begin to embody it as a truth. Right. My mother calls me up one morning and she says to me, Sean, my vagina is dry. I think it's my yogurt. (laughs) And I said, ma, I love this show. I I love this show. I said, (laughs) she said, she goes, "Do, do you think it's my yogurt? And I said, ma, um, I don't know. It depends. Are you eating it or are you sticking it up your coop? And she said, I'm eating it. And I said, Ma, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's not the yogurt that's making your vagina dry. It's the fact that you are at the time. It's the fact that you're 72 years old. And my mother says to me, what the fuck does my age have to do with it? My vagina is always juicy and moist. It's the yogurt. I'm switching brands. I love it. She wasn't buying what you, she wasn't buying your reality. 
No, because again, to your point, it's like we get told we hit a certain yeah. age and, and yes, things of course do begin like biologically, there are things sure. that happen, but we, the seeds are planted and just like the mind body connection, mm -hmm. we begin to really believe it as a truth, not that it's a truth for some and, and not necessarily a truth for others, right. but it becomes this paint this broad stroke right. of this is the way that it is. And my mom was just saying to me like, no, that's not my reality. Right. My reality is I think I need to change my diet right. and, and don't put that on me. Uh -huh. And, but I was so smug in like, ma, right. don't know how to tell you this. Right. And she really set me straight. And that was a really learn. A, and that was around, around when I turned 50 uh -huh. and it was a real lesson for me in like, I get to determine what it means to grow older physically, emotionally, psychologically. And it doesn't mean it's better, better or worse than anyone else. It right. just means it's unique to me. Mm -hmm. And, and it's important not to listen, especially in our very patriarchal society who makes a lot of money off of us feeling not good about ourselves, right. yep. of us feeling unwell. Right. Um, they profit from that belief system. And so that means though, we have to take care of ourselves. We have mm -hmm. to change our belief systems. We have to change the constructs that we've been taught in a very patriarchal society. The seeds that get planted that we immediately nod our head and say, it's a truth. It might not necessarily be. And so I share with you that lovely story of my mother and her vagina as uh, to illustrate that it's important to, to stay curious, to stay alive, to not buy into the constructs. And you decide, you, me, mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. decides what uh, getting older means for them and the way in which they're going to lean into it rather than reject it or avoid it or deny it or shame it. And so the cliffhanger for this episode is you have to tune into <laughs> next episode to see if she was able to overcome her dry vagina by eating different yogurt. Yes. And this is brought to you uh, by uh, the yogurt brand. No, <laughs> Chobani. If, no. My was, if my mother was here right now, yes. my mother would say, thank you very much. My vagina is fabulous. Oh, I love and it. So I love it. I love it. I offer you that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't think my brain's going to be able to process this, the, everything we've just said, because I, I just, I think it's great. Your mom's 76, but I just, there's certain visuals I'm just going to leave out. Just, I'm just gonna, I hope you never meet my mother. I, I actually hope I do. I think she would be a very, you, you're very inspiring. I, I think it would be, and I'm sure she would just roll with it. I, based on what you just said, she would just roll with it. it would, and I would never bring it up because I was brought up in the Midwest and we're, I'm a gentleman. Right. But, but, but I definitely, if she brought it up, would, would lean in and, and, and laugh with her. Oh God, Matt, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> the, um, so I do want to ask you, and, and, and I could probably spend the rest of the day talking to you, sleep, <laughs> diet, therapy, play stuff, <laughs> sleep, diet, therapy, play, and, and community. Um, mm -hmm. Of those sleep, Google it, people. Just Google it. Diet. <laughs> diet uh, yoga, yoga, meditation, prayer, sleep, diet, diet therapy, right. play. Diet, eat good stuff. Can we talk about therapy? I wanted to pick yeah. something that's more, uh, sometimes there's stigma around therapy, right? So I wanted, I, yeah. you know, and, and I love this other stuff. There's lots of stuff about sleep out there. There's lots of stuff about diet out there that I, that, and you can feel free to color that however you want to. If you don't want to skip it, we don't have to skip it. Like I will stay here until you're done. But therapy, what's that about? Kind of what's, what do you, because that's, you know, I, I've, I've 
my dad's bipolar. And so I've been around therapists a long, long time and had, you know, my, you know, I'm a human being and I have emotions and stuff. I fall down a lot too. And so I've had therapists throughout my lifetime. And, and so what does, why is that on your list? Um, I've been in therapy since I was 18 years old. And so I'm a really big believer in therapy. Like if you came to me and you said, Sean, I want to get my legs behind my head. Um, you would trust that I have a certain amount of anatomical information that I can assess your body and say, Matt, that's probably not going to be possible right now, (laughs) but here are the steps that we can take Mm -hmm. to prepare your body so that maybe in some years from now, you'll be able to move towards that or not. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know that I have the skill, I have the training to Mm -hmm. be able to give you the, the, the information that you might not have. To me, therapy is the same thing that... I'm, I know that I'm limited by my perception, mm-hmm. that I'm always going to err towards what I think is right, wrong, good, bad, or true. Having a neutral party who can reflect back to me the, my perception and guide me in new language that helps to expand the way in which I experience myself or see the world is the same thing to me. They have the training, they have the know-how, they're able to assess in a way that I can't because I, um, they're experiencing me differently. In the same way I can assess your body, mm-hmm. I'm not in your body, but I'm looking and I can mm-hmm. see the way the skeleton is shaped, et cetera. To me, therapists do the same thing, good therapists. There's say, a lot of therapy out there. Yeah, and I wanted to make that yeah. differentiator that we're, we're not talking, yeah. Yeah, just like any other, any other thing, they're, you know, there are good doctors and there are not good doctors. There's good, you know, uh, this person and not. So yeah, yeah. you you have to and different styles, it, right? There's Gestalt, there's Jungian, right. there's somatic. Um, you've got to kind of find out what works for you. Um, and I've done them all over the years. And the reason I'm so committed to it, and when I was young, it was I really didn't have much of a choice. I had experienced childhood trauma. It was affecting me. Mm-hmm. I had obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. It was getting worse, not mm-hmm. better when I left home. And I was using substances as a way to numb out. And um, my mom always says it to me. She does not understand like how I had the wherewithal at 18 years old to take my, my bartending money and use it towards mm-hmm. um, getting into therapy. But I just had a real feeling that something was scary skewed in my thinking mm-hmm. that my brain wasn't, wasn't that my brain wasn't working right, but there was information in my brain that was, um, that was causing me stress and anxiety and therapy coupled with yoga mm-hmm. made all the difference in the world. The yoga wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. It stopped me. It was like from the neck down. Right. Therapy was from the neck up. Mm-hmm. The integration of the two really became a very holistic practice for me. That helped me to connect with my emotions, helped me to express myself better, helped me to be less afraid mm-hmm. to lean into my shadow. And so as when I became a teacher, you know, I, I was a really good student that was deeply committed to yoga that happened to have the ability to articulate the, the, the practice. I became successful quickly and I knew that that was a real trap. Like I understood right away that if I didn't find, I needed someone to sit across from me because of the amount of projection I was getting, the transference mm-hmm. I was getting. If I didn't feel good about myself, all I had to do was book a class. 
I was going to have 10, 15, a hundred people telling me I'm wonderful. Right. I didn't have to, I, it, 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 I could see it was going to stunt my accountability. Mm -hmm. And so I doubled down in the therapy when I became, when I became a yoga teacher and was put into, um, an imbalanced position of power, Mm -hmm. whereas a lot of ego, um, because I wanted to make sure that I was, I was, I was staying to what was true. My studentship comes before my teaching becomes before anything that I remained authentic, mm-hmm. um, that I saw the shadow of being the teacher, mm-hmm. um, that I knew that there were going to be new experiences that were going to come up that were probably beyond my maturity level and wanted someone to guide me to that next level, like, you know, mm-hmm. into, uh, I'm still doing it. Like when I was entering my fifties, I got a new therapist who was an older woman, a gestalt, a, a Jungian therapist, because I wanted models on how to move into this next realm of my life mm-hmm. um, with more wisdom and compassion, but confidence. And I didn't have a lot of models for that. Mm. So I chose to work with a therapist who can help me in that initiatory process, mm-hmm. help me let go of my youth, let go of those constructs, grieve those constructs, grieve things, but also awaken to other things. And so therapy can be used for a variety of, of different things, depending on where you're at. Um, I, I tend to err towards somatic therapy for anyone who's listening. Mm-hmm. Those are often body-based therapies that mm-hmm. help you to identify where the trauma is living in the body and help it to open and dissipate. Um, I find that kind of therapy incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and if what people would, are interested, yeah, exactly. they can go to a website called um, somaticexperiencing.com and there's usually a list of qualified somatic experience tra- um, therapists in that are, are worldwide. Those are usually teachers that are trained by a teacher by the name of Peter Levine, who mm. wrote a book called Waking the Tiger. And I think he's probably the most skilled, uh, arguably, uh, mm. in relationship to somatic therapy. Oh, very, very good. Thank you for that resource as well. Yeah, I've actually heard of him, but I didn't, I didn't connect all those dots. So thank you for that. And I, and I think it's so important that we talk about it because it is so important, right? I mean, if you're just trying to figure it out on your own and reading books and and even to your point, even doing yoga, there's still some missing pieces there that, that it really, you know, and when you look at coaches, um, not, not athletes, when you look at like high-performing athletes, they all have coaches. A lot of high-performing business people have coaches, executives have coaches because they can perform better. And so I think it's kind of missed. I always thought, you know, or for a long period of time thought I only go to a therapist to because I'm broken or because I'm really hurting or because right this is going wrong and it's like actually the best time to, to find either a life coach you know a really competent coach or a really good therapist is when you are high functioning because then there is more stress there is more responsibility there is more typically you're balancing more stuff and so you do need more capacity to uh, more awareness more capacity to be able to to your point kind of stay real with yourself stay grounded otherwise life's going to do what life does and, and, yeah, yeah. and send you some train wrecks. Um, mm-hmm. so. And there's a, there's a difference between admitting and owning. Like mm-hmm. if, if I was out with my friends, I might admit to them that I'm sad or I'm angry or right. I'm annoyed. I might tell the story. Right. But with a therapist, they teach you how to own it, meaning mm-hmm. you feel it. Right. You, you're not just telling the story, but you're actually dropping into it and um, vocalizing your truth, which is one level of discharge. Um, 
but also confronting the fears around it, confronting mm-hmm. the limiting beliefs that you might have in relationship to it. And that's why I think like some people will say to me, well, I have my friends and that's great. And thank God for it. And it definitely serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. But if you can, if you do have the resources mm-hmm. where you can see a therapist, if indeed you feel like that's something important to you, then I do highly recommend it. And mm-hmm. ask around, ask your friends, odds are, you know, out of 10 of your friends, eight of them have been in therapy and they mm-hmm. might have a good recommendation um, because you do want to find someone that has been recommended and that you have, you have a little bit of understanding about who they are and the work right. that they do. Um, but talking it through is, is vitally, is vitally important. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I, here's a story that I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like kind of corresponds with it. Mm-hmm. When my, when my dad was dying of cancer, um, kidney cancer. This is about 12 years ago. I was very close to my father mm-hmm. and, uh, who also, uh, taught yoga and my mom, dad, and I were laying in bed watching TV and my dad, this is a few months before my dad died. My dad says to my mom, Alice, get out of the room. I want to talk to my daughter. And my mom glances at my dad and I see like an exchange mm-hmm. between them, just like mm-hmm. through the eyes. And my mom nods, turns off the TV and leaves the room. And my dad pulls me down onto his chest. And I remember listening to my dad's heartbeat and thinking like, how many more beats are left? Like, is it one, a hundred, 10? And my father is holding me and he's saying, my baby, my baby, I love you so much. And the moment he said, I love you so much, deep within my subconscious, I knew exactly what was happening. My father was saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. And I was not ready for that conversation. Mm -hmm. Not ready. And so... I jump out of my body. I dissociate. Mm. I'm like watching the scene from above, but I'm not really hearing Mm. him or Mm -hmm. really attached to what's being said because it's just too much for my nervous system to handle the reality Mm. of what's happening. And I remember saying in my head, Sean, get in your body. This happens once in a lifetime. You need to hear every word. Mm -hmm. Be present. So I like claw my way back into my consciousness and I'm listening to my father and he's telling me how proud he is of me and what Mm. kind of woman I've become and boom, gone. Like it keeps going back and forth like this Mm -hmm. where I cannot stay present to the conversation because it's too intense. And at the end of the conversation, I maybe heard 20, maybe 20% of what my father said, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, um, all right, get out of here, go get me a Coke. And I basically crawl out of the room. I yell down from, to my mom to get my dad a Coke. And I go into the other bedroom and I pass out. I fall asleep. I don't wake up till the next day. A week later, I'm in bed with my parents watching TV. My father says to my mother, Alice, get out of the room. I want to talk to my daughter. My mom looks at him kind of quizzically, mm-hmm. um, shrugs, turns the TV off, leaves the room. My father pulls me into his chest Start saying, my baby, my baby, I love mm. you so much. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? Right. Like, we did this. Right. Like, this isn't happening again. Right. And I'm like, is it the drugs? Mm-hmm. Did he forget that right. we already had this conversation? And so as soon as that realization happens that he's saying goodbye again, mm-hmm. I dissociate. Mm-hmm. But this time I get back into my body quicker Mm -hmm. and I stay present longer. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the conversation, I, I get maybe 50% of the conversation. Mm -hmm. My dad says, all right, get out of here. Get me a Coke. Same thing. I tell my mom to get him a Coke. I go into my room. I pass out. I wake up the next day. Nine times. My father says goodbye to me. Nine times. 
But by the ninth time, yeah. I heard every word. Yeah. I was completely present to 100%. I was able mm-hmm. to ask questions. Mm-hmm. We talked about what he wanted at his funeral. Right. Um, he gave me messages that he wanted me to give in my eulogy to different friends. Mm-hmm. We talked about the music, Another One Bites the Dust and Highway to Hell. <laughs> and and um, when it was over, he said, okay, get out of here and get me a Coke. And I go downstairs and I say to my mom, if my father says goodbye to me one more fucking time, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and... It wasn't until my dad was dead where I realized what he did. Yeah. He knew that that the, his his death was going to be traumatic for me. Right. And he knew that by talking about it made it real mm-hmm. and that the little girl in me couldn't handle this reality, but he needed me to get real with this. He needed me to get very present for him and for me. Mm-hmm. He needed us to be able to say the I love yous, the I forgive yous, the I accept all the things, but it wouldn't work unless I was present. Mm-hmm. By getting me to talk about it over and over and over again, my nervous system titrated. So that meaning it went into homeostasis, right. it went into balance. So by the time I had that ninth conversation, it wasn't as scary or as threatening or as overwhelming. And I was able to be fully engaged with what was happening. And in a lot of ways, I believe that yoga and a lot of these and, and therapy mm-hmm. and all of these different modalities, it's what it does for us. It lets us move the energy, express these unimaginable truths and get so comfortable with our humanity mm-hmm. that we're able to be present to what is as it is and hold both the grief and the acceptance, hold both the loss and the grace. And so I wanted to share that story because I feel Beautiful like story. that kind of a, um, you know, when people ask like, why therapy right. for me, because it's a place where I get to own again and again and again, so that, that, the, that fear isn't living within me, that someone else is bearing witness and holding it with me, not for me, but with me. Right. That's so beautifully said and a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing that very personal story. Cause that's, yeah, that was amazing that he had the wisdom and insight to basically know how to heal you before his own death. I mean, to right. I mean, and yeah. in, in essence, he was, he was making sure that he set you up for the next step, I guess would be what I was hearing him. You say is basically yes. he knew he knew he had it, you know, as a, as your father, he well, And don't we all wish that we had parents like that? Right. That's a great example of parenting and adult parenting. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a beautiful story and just beautiful how he orchestrated that so that he would, uh, so it wouldn't be as, so when you went through it, you weren't going through it alone. You were actually going through it with him before the process. Yeah, that that's just beautiful. Yeah. And, and what a what a wise wise man he, he he was then. Yeah, my father was amazing and an asshole. Like both <laughs> are true. <laughs> and there's the Jersey girl keeping it keeping yes. it real. There's the Jersey girl. Yes. I love it. I love. I think that's yeah. where a lot of your authenticity comes from. Is just that Jersey. <laughs> I've been picking it up all show. It's just that okay. There's the Jersey. There's the. Go get me a Alice. Get out of the room. I'm like, oh, that's really. (laughs) Uh, That was my upbringing. I love it. I love it. Do you want to touch on play before we end today? Play and and community. What's your? Oh, sure. Um, Well, like I said, play. I'm not very good at. Well, that's why I wanted to make sure we talked about it. I didn't want to let you off the hook. It's like, well, if she's practicing, we need to inject it into the show. Play and community. Two and a half years. Two and a half years ago, I was blessed by having a, having a grandchild. Oh, I have uh, a, a two and a half year old, Alita, and who is um, her 
who are is the child the child of my stepdaughter. Okay. Um, and so having a child in my home and in my life forces. Oh yeah. Forces play. Yes. It, as you know, yes. you're you know yeah. you have one in your life as well. So I have a seven and, and a two year old. Yeah. It. Yeah. Exactly. I get my hair brushed a you lot by the two-year-old. She gets up in my face and puts her hands in my beard and does this. And then she'll stick her, you know, fingers and try yeah. to put them in my <laughs> mouth. I'm like, okay. So, yes, children are great examples of what it's like to be present and fully enjoying. I, I was telling, sharing this with a friend earlier today. It was like, you know, uh, my kids look for ways to be happy and to have joy all throughout the day. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for ways yeah. to have fun and ways to have joy. They're just like, give me an excuse to be happy. Give me an excuse to have joy. Give me an excuse. I mean, literally they'll say, tickle me that, you know, they're, they're, they're just joyful, right? They're just like my, my two-year-old will just lay there and she'll be like, tickle me and I'll tickle her. And then she'll, and then I'll <laughs> stop and she'll be like, tickle me. And I'll, t I mean, it's just, they're like, <laughs> I want to, I want to be here. To, I came here to have fun, right? I came here to like live yes. this thing called life. And so I think they're great examples. So yes, you have a two-year-old grand, a uh, grandchild, granddaughter, grandboy, yeah. grand, yeah. grandson, granddaughter, granddaughter. Alita. Okay. Alita. Alita. Uh -huh. And she's just, uh, I mean, she forces my, my partner is just such a natural, like just nonstop play, play, play. It's, it, I've learned so much in watching him demonstrate silliness mm -hmm. and try to imitate some degree of it, um, <laughs> which doesn't, isn't always as successful. I've had to find my own way. And, but I have. And so Alita is one of the ways in which I've incorporated play. And of course, seeing my friends and getting out of my house and being in relationship I'm still not great at it. I don't like mm -hmm. going, I'm not going to go dancing. I'm not going to do things like that, but I'll go mm -hmm. for a walk on the beach mm -hmm. and that might getting out in nature and just talking about things other than, you know, the suffering in this world right. and, um, you know, all the, all the actionables that I'm going to take, you know, to, to disrupt, uh, the patriarchy, um, and just talk about nothing and, everything in a much more easygoing way. That is really important. I know I, I could use even more of it. Right. The pandemic for me was actually, it, it left more room for me to be in more conscious engagement with my family and with mm -hmm. my intimate friends. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the excuse of being tired because I just got off an airplane right. um, or I've been teaching so much. I, it was just like, they know I, you know, they knew when they called me at 12 o'clock and said, let's go for a hike that I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so <laughs> I didn't have that excuse anymore. Right. And so I do find it vitally important to express different parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, that I'm more than just being a yoga teacher. I'm more than being a daughter or mm -hmm. somebody's partner. There are other aspects and as are you, mm -hmm. um, we have creative, passionate sides to ourselves that can lie dormant. And so play and community can often bring it out. And, and community is, like I said, I probably should add that as my eighth non-negotiables because it's, it's what the pandemic has shown us. Can I get that, credit for that? Can I get credit yes, for that? Okay. Thank you. So, so when you write, you the, got it. write the book and it, and it goes from seven to eight, <laughs> it's, it's my last name's L I L L I E. And I want to say your good friend, Matt Lilly helped you separate <laughs> play from community 
so that you could give play its it. own space. I am so happy to have been a, a benefit to you today. Thank you for that. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I'm Matt. Just, absolutely. This is how I just reward myself and go, good job today, Matt. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I am celebrating you from afar. I am celebrating. Yes. This is, I, I, have found, <laughs> I have found after, especially after COVID, that I like to celebrate little things like that because it's fun for me. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, see, um, then you like play. Yeah, I do. And you're good I with do. play. Do you, yeah. do you have non-negotiables? Wow. Um, not enough. I would say non-negotiables. Um, yeah, COVID for me has been a very uh, life-altering in a lot of different ways. And I'm still navigating out of and, and determining mm-hmm. what those non... I like the way you put them non-negotiables. I need to be more, more um, intentional about these things because... I am not as intentional. I've started to become more intentional with prayer, with meditation, definitely not with yoga yet. That's uh, sleep. I'm pretty good with diet. I, I can always be more intentional with, but yeah, I need to, I need to work on my, do you do actually, did you do a workshop around that? Like your non-negotiables? No, no? I never did. I, I, I often mention it, yeah. but I don't, I haven't actually done a literal workshop. Um, I just just mentioned it once and it's funny. People bring it up often because I just kind of threw it out there one day that these were my non-negotiables because I know how quick I can revert. The great, the great eight. (laughs) These are my great eight (laughs) non-negotiables. Right. And I think it's what the pandemic taught us that Mm -hmm. there are no boundaries. The virus did not care whether you lived in Kansas or California, that we were all really vulnerable and we had a, we had a responsibility to each other Mm -hmm. during this time that um, the collective really mattered. And it, that um, I think if there was a gift that came out of this time for some, not for everybody, is the understanding of how we need to show up as a society and the responsibilities that we need to take, not just for our own self-care, mm-hmm. but for co- collective care. Right. And that a, a life well lived is not one that's necessarily lived in isolation. Right. Um, in the practice of yoga, we're taught that our liberation is bound. Like mm-hmm. I can't be free unless right. we're all free. Right. And so we have, we have to actively work towards the freedom of the collective. And so I do think that community has to become a non-negotiable um, mm-hmm. because you really can't separate it out from your own healing. I agree 110%. I do, I do, I feel that in my bones and that drives me to do a lot of the things I'm doing now in the world is that very, that very thing that you were talking about. It's, it's, I've, yeah, there's, there's something I think, and I think there's something ingrained like through the hero's journey and a lot of that, the stuff around that, but there's something ingrained in all of us to help our fellow man and woman. I mean, I think there's this, this in, I think it's innate and also um, just part of our DNA that, once we get to a certain point of understanding or maybe just insight or wisdom or whatever you want to call it, I'm not going to give myself credit for any of that. I'm just saying get to a certain level mm-hmm. of, of I've been through enough shit and I've seen enough things that you naturally want to give to others. You naturally want to help others. You naturally want to serve um, yeah. a, a greater, something greater than yourself. I think that's the evolution of humanity and, or at least an individual's humanity. That's my belief anyway, that if we're not truly serving something, then we don't feel complete. We don't feel whole. We don't feel. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. And also because I recognize if we believe in the interdependency mm-hmm. and that we are all connected, mm-hmm. um, then if anyone is suffering, I yeah. said this very early on, if anyone mm-hmm. is suffering and we turn our back on that suffering, we're complicit to that suffering. Yes. We're responsible 
for it. There's a saying in, in, in yoga, one of the, the, the golden rules, if you will, is, is ahimsa, which is often translated as do no harm, mm-hmm. but it also means to disrupt harm when you see it, mm-hmm. that you're not off the hook when you're on the spiritual path, quite the opposite. If you see somebody suffering mm-hmm. um, for, on any level, mm-hmm. you have to, as long as it doesn't, of course, put you in danger yourself, mm-hmm. but uh, especially if you're in any kind of the part of the dominant society, you have to be willing to orient towards that suffer suffering. Otherwise, then you're the problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be the problem. Right. I don't want to contribute to that. That's antithetical to the spiritual path. Mm-hmm. You've got to actually orient towards it and create change. But to create change out there, you got to change in mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's, that is the deeper work. I hope that the pandemic helped awaken people to heal the divide that exists within themselves so that we don't continue to contribute to the division that is so evident in our society today. Um, It's not good enough to sit on the sidelines. We have to be active participators. But if we meet hate with hate, fear with fear, we're just contributing to that same cycle of dysfunction over and over again. We have to meet hate and fear with love. And the only way to do that is by doing our inner work. And I imagine it's why you're doing your podcast yes, yeah. so that you can invite people mm-hmm. to learn from different kinds of personalities, mm-hmm. see what medicine works for them, give them resources to explore for themselves and help to guide and um, navigate a, a healing journey for them so that they can show up in their family and in their community with better skills and a more integrated sense of purpose. Yes. Love it. Love it, love it. You're going to make me cry. I'm, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry on the show. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. You can tell a couple more stories and I'm going to cry. So let's let's not tell any more stories. I, should, I talk, should, I, should I talk about my dead dad again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was great. Thanks. Thanks for That'll that. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I don't have tissues here. We're not going to cry. I, I actually love crying. I, I didn't used to. And then as I started to go through processes and actually do some work, in internal work, uh, I, then it became the opposite where it's like anytime I did internal work, if I didn't cry, I was like, ah, I didn't get much out of that. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, I want to <laughs> grieve because I needed to grieve and still, uh-huh. still do on some levels. I'm, I know I do, but definitely in the beginning of that, you know, when you have those big, heavy, those big boulders, right? When you start moving those big boulders and, you, and there's all that crying and the snot and the tears and the relief and the, and like, Oh God, you know, you feel like, you yeah. know, God has reached down and literally touched you. Um, you know, completely. And then it was just very cleansing. And so then it became like this. Now when I, when I watch a movie and I, I cry before my wife does. Right. And I, and I noticed <laughs> that my boy does too. It's funny now to watch, watch him as well. But, uh, but yeah, I'm like, I love crying. It's like, Oh, let the tears roll. It just, it just feels good to the soul. It feels like, it feels like when it, you know, what, what I imagine the earth feels like when it rains, it's just this like cleansing thing. It's just like, let's mm-hmm. let the, t- especially when now the tears aren't tears of like hurt and pain more. They're like joy and love and acceptance and just gratitude. Right. There, there's big tears of like, thank you God for letting me just experience that. What I just got to experience, no matter how, if mm-hmm. it's good or ba- no matter if it sounded good or bad or good information or bad, just thank God I experienced it. Right. Thank God I got to actually feel the feelings and, and, and be in that 
space of just being able to feel because so long in my life I couldn't feel right I was so numb and I was so you know the alcohol and the work and the just avoiding and avoiding avoiding I was just so numb so now anytime like feel feel authentically feel it's like oh this is this is great even when it's not so great but at least there's the feeling mm. but it's better to feel than be dead I guess is my point and also you're modeling to your children that you're normalizing the human experience, you know, the, the arc, the, the, com the complex spectrum of, of feelings. And you're modeling it to them at an early age, meaning that then, then when they when they get hit with the, uh, what boys sh or girls should, should or should right. not do, um, you've already modeled what's possible, what that can look like. I think that's incredibly important and probably broke years of stigma that came from generations before, right, right, right. you know, you break that, 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 that patterning, which mm -hmm. is such a healthy thing to be able to do. Well, so good on you, daddy. Thanks. I win parent of the year again today, parent of the year. Where's my parking spot? Dun, da, da, da. Anytime I screw up, that's why I tell my wife, I'm like, I won the dad of the year award again today. <laughs> that's, I like, yelled so at the proud. kids for, <laughs> yes. I yelled at the kids. Yes. So where's my trophy? <laughs> um, well, Sean, how do we stay, how do we stay in, how do we connect with everything Sean Korn? So what's the best ways for people to stay in this conversation uh, with you and continue on? I mean, you, you, there's so many levels to, to, to Sean Korn and beyond. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't, we didn't even get into, we did, we only scratched the mere <laughs> surface of the water today. There's a uh, hundred leagues beneath this of the Sean Korn. So um, from your, and a lot of that your social activism and all the things you do there as well. We didn't touch on any of that stuff today, which is uh, marvelous and amazing. And I'm glad you're doing that work. So, so how do people connect? Uh, SeanCorn.com is probably the best way if they want to go to my website. Um, I teach online classes, mm -hmm. really in-depth programming uh, that deal with the mind body, that deal with trauma informed yoga practices mm -hmm. and psychosomatic uh, mm -hmm. principles. And, um, they can find out all about that stuff online. Um, they can read my book, Revolution of the Soul. Oh, I forgot. Uh, yeah, that's I didn't always... even mention it. What a, a horrible host I am. <laughs> I didn't even mention the name of your book. I apologize. You got <laughs> me going okay. here, and it's right here in my show notes and everything. It was published in fall of 2019, Revolution of the Soul. <laughs> right before the pandemic, yeah. And, and was it actually and, um, pub, Well, so, but you also have the Yoga of Awakening, right? But that was... That's, that's not a book. That's that, a DVD those are DVDs. Series. Got it, got it. And was yeah, that published yeah. by Sounds True? It says with yeah. sounds true. Okay, so sounds true publishing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. now, and so if they want to, they want to hear stories. My dead dad story isn't in there, although. Well, there's one. There's mm -hmm. one that'll knock people on their and on their butts uh -huh. if they want a good dead dad story, but it's before he died. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of stories in there, and it, it all intersects back into um, yoga, the mind body experience, trauma, everything that we've talked about, but um, in a, with a lot of narratives and then a lot of science to back up the principles and philosophy. And so they can check that out. And so did I hear you correctly that you had not talked publicly or you just haven't talked in your book about the thing with your dad? Um, oh, in the book, I haven't oh, spoken. Okay. I, I, yeah, I shared the story with my, about my dad before, but that story is not in my book Got it. Got it. Got um, it. that I shared with you. Yeah. For the first that time wasn't in on the today's book. podcast. <laughs> The unseen experience of Sean Corn. I don't often talk about my mother's vagina, though. You do oh, have did, a, did a I kind get, of a scoop. Oh, nice. You, We've got the scoop, scoop on your on mom's that. vagina. There's so many things wrong with that that I don't even think we're going to be able to promote it. 
In fact, maybe that's that is the promotional reel that we're going to run for the show is to find out more about Sean Corn's mom's Sean's vagina. Me. Tune in to today's um, podcast brought to my you by would be yogurt. Dying right now. She, she would be laughing so hard. I do. I hope a yogurt co- company reaches out yes. to my mother and want her she, as their she, representative. She, you just need to let me know Ambassador. what brand that she loves, and then we'll just we'll. We'll go back and in editing, we'll just bleep over and say yo play or whatever, whatever it is, right? We'll be, you know, she switched to. So if you too want oh, a a very active, healthy vagina, please use this yogurt. So anyway, oh see, we got God. to play today. I got to, I got you to laugh. Yes, I'm glad. Did. So I got to fulfill. I got to fulfill number. Seven or eight, you get to choose which where you want to put play on your list. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing just your passion and your joy. I definitely had a a, a great time visiting with you. You're uh, such a light, and I'm going to project on you right now. Uh, you're such a light, and you're such a <laughs> passionate and and a, a good role model for us, for me, and I believe for a lot of people. You're a good role model of just being so. I'd even say, uh, what was the word I was looking for before? It's like almost reverent in your practice and the way you approach life, but reverent in a very, in a very, I mean that in a very positive way. I mean, you're very Mm -hmm. intentional, probably is the right word, maybe a better word, but very intentional. And, and that's a great, like you said, it's a great example. Matt, what are your non-negotiables? I'm like, shit, she called me on the carpet and I don't have them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, she just called me out on my own show, (laughs) but, but, but but that, but I appreciate that about you. That's, that's Mm -hmm. the beauty of who you are and the example that you're, that's the piece of us that I guess you're reflecting back to us that we all could use some help with is, you know, being mm-hmm. a little bit more intentional with our lives because then we get better results, right? That's, I think you're yeah. the, you're, you're the proof of that, that you do certain mm-hmm. things and you get, you get certain results from those things and they can be very positive. Okay. So thanks for coming well, on the show Thank today. you for that. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. It was yeah. a joy to be here and I wish all your listeners so much happiness and great health and abundance and just a deep, rich inner life as they continue doing this work. And I hope they're inspired by all the different speakers who come through this program and all the the brilliance that I have a feeling that you will lay out for them uh, time and again. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.